Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 19. And uh, this morning, we, of course, are making our way through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're in a series entitled uh, Journey with Jesus, and we, of course, are on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been studying the life of Christ through this Gospel. The Gospel of Luke is probably the most comprehensive Gospel in the Bible regarding the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we find ourselves in a very familiar passage, especially if you grew up in church, and we find ourselves looking at the story of a character, a very well-known story, of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. If you're there in Luke chapter 19, in verse 1, the Bible says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. We saw last week that he had an encounter. He stopped to speak to a blind man on his way into Jericho. Now he's passing through Jericho. We know that he is making his way. We're going to talk about it tonight. He's making his way to Jerusalem Uh, He's about ready to enter Jerusalem in what is known, we'll learn about this tonight in the evening service, as Palm Sunday, and he's going to present himself as the spotless Lamb of God to be sacrificed for our sins. And as he passed through Jericho, the Bible says there in verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. This is a very well-known story. And it's an important story. It's really the last encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ before His uh, resurrection, the last encounter that He'll have with an individual outside of Jerusalem on His way to Jerusalem. And of course, if you grew up in church, you know the name Zacchaeus. When I was a kid growing up, we would, of course, have many lessons in Sunday school about Zacchaeus, and we would sing about Zacchaeus all the time. There was a little song about Zacchaeus. Who knows the song I'm referring to? The, the children's song. When I was a kid, we would sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. And we would sing that song. And of course, that is in reference to the story here in uh Luke chapter 19, and that's pretty much the story, so we can pray and be dismissed, and I'm I'm just kidding. There are some things we can learn about Zacchaeus in this passage of Scripture here, and I'd like to, as quickly as possible, break these down for you and give you some thoughts regarding uh, Zacchaeus this morning. If you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. I'd like to notice, first of all, this morning, Zacchaeus' condition. Zacchaeus' condition. And of course, the most famous thing we know about Zacchaeus, what he's probably known the most for, is his short stature. You're there in Luke 19. If you notice, again, look at verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Notice verse 3. And he, this is Zacchaeus, sought to see Jesus who he was, and could not for the press... He could not see who Jesus was for the press. The word press there is in reference to the the crowd, the multitude. We know that Jesus has been on his way traveling with a crowd of people. And of course, this will climax in Jerusalem. Uh, Zacchaeus could not see Jesus for the press. Notice the last part there, verse number three, because he was little of stature, because he was little of stature. Now, the uh, gospel writer of Luke, we know, is Luke the physician. And Luke the physician is uh, very detailed about his writings. He's given us probably more details in the gospel of Luke than any other gospel writer. It's a comprehensive gospel on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he gives us this detail about Zacchaeus that he was little of stature. He was a uh, short man. And I will say this, I personally take offense to this. Um, you know, I don't understand it. It uh, kind of just upsets me. Uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a talk with uh, the Apostle Luke because he, he feels the need to throw this into the story. And, you know, what I want to say to Luke is, you know, you don't tell us anything else about anybody else. You don't tell us the, the Mary, the, the color of hair that Mary had. You didn't tell us how big Peter's nose was. 
Uh, you, didn't, you didn't tell us that, you know, you don't tell us that John had really big hands or small hands. You don't feel the need to tell us these things. But for some reason, he feels the need to tell us that Zacchaeus was short of stature. And this is what the story is known for, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was a uh, uh, short man. He was short of stature and he could not see the story. And obviously, the reason that he tells us this is so that we understand why it is that Zacchaeus is climbing upon a sycamore tree in order to try to see the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would like you to notice, and I would like you to just uh, give some thought to this. Keep your place there in Luke chapter number 19. That is our text for this morning. Go with me if you would to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you find the one and two books in the Old Testament, they're all clustered together. First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First uh, and Second Samuel, of course. First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. If you can find First Samuel chapter seventeen, I do believe that there may be a spiritual illustration, if not an application, regarding the height of Zacchaeus, the fact that he was short of stature. And let me maybe try to explain this to you a little bit, and I'll do it as tactfully as I can. In the Bible, uh, height is associated uh, with arrogance, with ability. Yes, I know. The short pastor is going to preach about uh, the sins of being tall. But I want you to understand, and some of you have had this coming for a long time, <laughs> that God connects these, ta- these, these ideas of being tall or being, at, being high. And you may think I'm joking, and, and, I, and I half am, but I want you to, to, to notice this. God associates this idea of of height with ability. And oftentimes with personal ability comes arrogance. Let me just give you a couple examples and you can do what you will with it. 1 Samuel 17, look at verse 4. This is probably the most famous uh, uh, story of a tall person in the Bible, a man by the name of Goliath, right? 1 Samuel 17, 4, and there there went out a champion. By the way, let me just say this, that phrase, a champion, or that word champion, this is the only time it's used in the entire Bible, champion. Uh, it's an arrogant term to say, I'm the champion, right? And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, notice, named Goliath of Gath, whose, notice what is highlighted about this man, of course he's a giant, whose height was six cubits and a span. And six cubits and a span would be about nine feet, nine inches tall. He's a, called a giant for a reason. He's nine feet, nine inches tall, and he's highlighted here as a champion. And what does he do? He is filled with pride and arrogance. Luke, uh, 1 Samuel 17, look down at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says about Goliath. And the Philistines said, I defy, the word defy means to challenge boldly or openly. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. If you look, skip down to verse number 16, same chapter, the Bible says, and the Philistines drew near the Philistine, excuse me, referring to Goliath, drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. So we have this uh, giant, right? Nine foot, nine inches tall, six cubits and a span. And what we see is that because of his personal ability, there's some arrogance there. And, and, and here's what I want you to say. This is not the only time in, in this book that this is highlighted. Go to 1 Samuel 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Look at verse 2. Remember the first king of Israel? His name was Saul. If you're familiar with Saul, you know that he was not a good king. He started out good, but he ended bad. And I want you to notice what's highlighted about, uh, about uh, Saul in the Bible. 1 Samuel 9 and verse 2, the Bible says, And he had a son whose name was Saul. This is, of course, talking about Saul's uh, father. And we're about to be introduced to Saul, who will become the first king of Israel. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a godly, uh, a goodly, excuse me. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. That word goodly or goodlier is a reference to appearance. He was a good-looking young man. He, his name was Saul, and he was a choice young man and a goodly. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Notice what the Bible says about him. When we just got done being told how good-looking he was, how his appearance was good, what's highlighted for us, notice, from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So what's highlighted about Saul? The fact that he was taller than most people. In fact, people looked at Saul and they thought to themselves, 
that guy should be king. That guy should be in charge. Why? Because from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, Pastor, you're just saying this because you're short and you're bitter about it. And there <laughs> may be some truth to that. But let me highlight something else for you. Go to 1 Samuel 15. Remember when Saul goes back, when Saul ends up uh, uh, turning against the Lord, what is it that Samuel says to Saul? What, what were we told when Saul started? That he was a, sh- a shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Then when he gets fired, when he gets fired as king, what is it that Samuel says? 1 Samuel 15, verse 17. And Samuel said, when thou was, don't miss it, little. When thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And I want you to notice that God says, hey Saul, you used to think very little of yourself. And when you thought little of yourself, that's when I promoted you. But when, you got, when it got into your head, wow, look at how amazing, look at how wonderful, look at his ability. He said, you got a little too big for your own britches. And look, and again, I just want to point this out to you that this is highlighted throughout the story. Go to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. Saul gets replaced. Why? Because when thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made head of the tribes of Israel? The problem was that he was no longer little in his own sight. God replaces Saul with a boy named David. God sends Samuel the prophet to the house of David to anoint David king. The problem is that David had several brothers And God was going to tell Samuel which one of the brothers it was that he was choosing as king of Israel, 1 Samuel 16, 6. Notice what the Bible says. And it came to pass when they were come that he, this is Samuel, looked on Eliab. So Samuel gets there. Samuel knows he's there to anoint the next king of Israel. But he doesn't know exactly. He knows that it's one of the uh, sons, uh, uh, the brothers of David here, but he's not sure which one, one of the sons of Jesse, not sure which one of the sons of Jesse or which one of the brothers uh, uh, he's going to uh, be the one that he anoints as king. And notice what the Bible says there. He looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. So he gets there and he sees Eliab, who's the eldest, and he says, this is the guy. This has to be the guy. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This is who God has chosen as the next king. Verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, notice what God says, or on the height of his stature. He said, I don't want you to make the same mistake we made with Saul. I don't want you to look at how tall he is. I don't want you to look at his countenance. He says, Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, For a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And here's what God is telling Samuel. He's telling Samuel, Samuel, I am not concerned with the man's height. I am concerned with the man's heart. He said David was a man after God's own heart. See, Saul had the height to be king, but he he did not have the heart to be king. And here, God says, look not on his countenance or on his height, of his stature. Now, I bring this up to say this. In the Bible, height seems to be connected with this idea of ability, which is not a bad thing. God has given everybody different abilities. But sometimes when people have a lot of ability, they get arrogant as a result. Why is it that we are told, go back to uh, Luke chapter 19, about Zacchaeus' stature? It's because of this. He did not measure up. And, and, and the thought regarding the stature, because height is associated with arrogance due to ability in the Bible. But let me say this, being low or being little is associated with humility to do your, to, due to your own awareness of your inability. And there's a lot of bad things about Zacchaeus, and we're about to see a, a lot of bad things. But one good thing that Zacchaeus knew was that he was short. Zacchaeus grew up, of course, being short and was well aware of the fact that he was short. But let me just explain something to you. Spiritually speaking, no matter how tall you may be physically, spiritually speaking, we all come short of the glory of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we see 
First, his stature, that he was a short man. And, and I want you to understand something. This is important to know, not only because physically we need to understand why it is that Zacchaeus climbed up into a tree, but I, I think Luke is telling us this because Zacchaeus may have also had something else in his life due to his short stature, and it's what's often referred to as a short man complex, right? Zacchaeus felt like he had something to prove. You ever heard of a guy by the name of Napoleon? Trying to take over the whole world. Why? To, he had something to prove. Notice what the Bible tells us about Zacchaeus. Luke 19 and verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now in verse 3, we were told that he was short in stature. But that's actually not the first thing that Luke tells us about this man Zacchaeus. The first thing, before Luke actually tells us about his short stature, he tells us about his superior status. Notice verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief. You see that, that, that phrase there? The chief. What does that mean? He was the boss. He was the guy in charge, which was the chief among the publicans. Don't miss it. And he was rich. Now, please understand something. When the Bible says you're rich, you're rich. Okay? It's not like Zacchaeus was like, hey, look, uh, look how, how, you know, it's not Zacchaeus on, on Facebook trying to brag about how rich he is. No, this is the Holy Spirit of God telling us this man was rich. And there are some rich people in the Bible. So for the Bible to tell us that Zacchaeus was rich, he must have been rich. I mean, Zacchaeus wasn't driving a Prius. He was, he was driving a Bentley. This guy, he, he, he had a home and a summer home. He, he was the kind of rich. He wasn't the kind of rich that went on vacation. He was the kind of rich that went on certain vacations, depending on the season of the year. I summer in the Aspens and I, you know, all these things. I mean, this guy was rich. Why was he rich? Because he had climbed the ladder of his job. He was not just a tax collector. He was not just a publican, which is what... Publicans are, they're tax collectors. He was the chief among the publicans. What we're told about Zacchaeus, I think it's very interesting. We're told that he was short of stature, and we're told of his superior status. We're told that this guy, what he did for whatever it's worth, and what he did, by the way, was not good. We're going to see that here in a minute. But what he did for whatever it's worth, he was good at it. When it came to being a publican, he was the best. In fact, he was the chief. In fact, they put him in charge. He was the one that ran the entire organization. He was the chief among the publicans. He was short of stature, and he had superior status. Now, let me say this. His status was that of a sinful state. Notice there in Luke 19, when the Bible tells us that he was rich, I want you to notice how the Bible tells us he got the, those riches. Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord. We're, we're fast-forwarding in the story a little bit, but I want you to see this. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man, notice what he says, by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, why does Zacchaeus feel the need to say, you know, if I've stolen anything by false accusation, I'm going to restore that? Why does Zacchaeus feel the need to say that? Here's why. Because that's what Zacchaeus had done. Zacchaeus did not get rich by being honest. He got rich by extortion. He got rich by false accusation. See, Zacchaeus was a publican. And we've actually, if you've been on this journey with us, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we've learned a lot about the publicans on the way. I seem to think that Jesus had a, a soft spot in his heart for publicans because publicans come up in the story of the Lord Jesus Christ a lot. And what's always highlighted about them is not good. Let's just run a few verses real quickly. Luke, uh, you're there in Luke 19. Go to Luke chapter number 5. Luke chapter number 5. Luke 5 and verse 27. Here's another famous publican. Of course, Zacchaeus is a famous publican. He's a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. But here's another famous publican, Luke 5, 27. And after these things, he went forth, this is Jesus, and saw a publican named Levi. Who's this? This is a man who you would probably know better by, the, by his other name, Matthew. 
He will become one of the apostles. He writes the gospel of Matthew. And he, the Bible tells us that he was a publican. Does, does it back on? Okay. Brother David doesn't like me preaching against saw people. <laughs> Luke 5, 27, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican, notice, named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. When the Bible says that he was sitting at the receipt of custom, the word custom there means uh, taxes or uh, government fees. A publican was a tax collector. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Being a tax collector is already not a popular job. In fact, I've never met anybody who, when I asked them, what do you do for a living, they said to me, you know, I work for the IRS. No one's going to tell you that, right? Because that's not a great job. I, I mean, I don't know, but I would imagine that all the IRS agents, when they tell people, I work for the government, uh, I work in the revenue, internal, service, something like that. Being a tax collector is already not a popular job, but please understand this. In this culture, in this context, not only was it not popular, it was treasonous. To be a tax collector in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Jericho, in Judah, in the first century, means that you were working for the enemy. It means that you were on the payroll of the Roman Empire. It means that you were collecting taxes for the people who were holding you, who were occupying your land. So a publican was not only a tax collector, which if they were a tax collector for their own nation, that already would not be a very popular uh, job or a job that would get you uh, a lot of uh, positive recognition. But this man was a tax collector for the enemy. He was collecting taxes from the Jewish people for the nation, the empire of Rome. Being a tax collector meant that you were, being a publican meant that you were a traitor. But it gets worse than that. Go to Luke chapter 18. Not only is being a publican make you a tax collector, which is already bad. You work for the IRS, you, t- you take my taxes. Not only, it gets worse than that, though, because you're a tax collector for the wrong side, the bad side, the the enemy of the land, the people that are occupying us, the people that won't allow us to have our own king and our own uh, uh, government. You're you're collecting taxes for the enemy. So not only, only are you a tax collector, but you are a traitor. But it gets worse than that. You say, worse than traitor? Yeah. Because these publicans were not only tax collectors, they were not only traitors, but they were extortioners. Remember Luke 18, we saw the parable of the Pharisee and the publican? Again, I want you to notice that Jesus highlights these people, these individuals, publicans, a lot. Remember what the Pharisee said about the publican? Luke 18, look at it, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now, we know that, the, that in this story, the Pharisee is the self-righteous one, and the publican is the one that gets saved. We understand that. But I want you to remember what it is that the Pharisee said about the publican. Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Remember the Pharisee? He prayed with himself about himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, that I am not as other men are. And the context, when the Pharisee says, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, the context is in reference to the publican. Because there's only two guys there. Two men went up into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee is speaking to himself, praying to himself. He's praying thus with himself. And he says, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, specifically as this guy. Notice what he says. I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And then he says this, or even as this publican. You say, why would the Pharisees say extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican? Here's why. Because that's what the publicans were known for. They were known to be extortioners. You say, what is an extortioner? 
An extortion is the crime of obtaining money or some other thing of value by the abuse of one's office or authority. See, it's, it's already bad that these guys are tax collectors. And it's already bad that they're traitorous tax collectors collecting taxes for the other side. But what makes it even worse is that these people were extortioners. The way it worked in the first century was this. Rome told the publicans, you need to collect X amount of dollars and send that and give that as a payment for our taxes. But you can collect more than that. In fact, we don't mind you collecting more than that. We're going to allow you to collect more than that because we want you to be motivated to collect what you need to get for us. So you need to get X amount of money for us for taxes. But you can collect above that as much as you'd like. And anything you collect above that, you can keep. This is why these publicans were known as extortioners. Because of the fact that they had the power and the authority of the Roman Empire to go to their own countrymen and collect more taxes than were actually due so that they could take off the, the, the top and take their cut. And the Bible says when it came to publicans, Zacchaeus was the best. He was the chief among the publicans And then the Bible tells us, and he was rich. How do you get rich? Through extortion. How do you get rich? Through being unjust. How do you get rich? Remember the Pharisee, I'm thankful that I'm not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Go Go to Luke chapter number three. Luke chapter number 3. By the way, let me just say this, and I won't take the time to run all the verses, but you can study this throughout the Bible. And throughout the Bible, you will find this phrase comes up, this phrase that's used throughout the New Testament, and it is this, publicans and sinners. When they would accuse Jesus of spending time with the wrong people, they would say, he's spending time with publicans and sinners. Publicans and sinners. The term publican, the phrase publican, was used synonymously with the word sinner. Here's another phrase that's used throughout the Bible. Publicans and harlots. Publicans and harlots. I want you to understand that these tax collectors were despised and hated because not only did they gather taxes, but they gathered taxes for the Roman Empire from their own people, and they were allowed to take more than was owed to keep for themselves. So these people, they were hated. And just to give you another piece of proof that this is the story with the publicans, remember when John the Baptist, we saw it already when we were in Luke chapter 3, remember when John the Baptist was preaching and the public, the different individuals came and they asked him, what shall we do, what shall we do? Notice the publicans asked the question and notice what it is that John responds, Luke 3 and verse 12. Luke chapter 3 and verse 12. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? So John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. The publicans come. They get saved. They get baptized. He baptizes them. Then they ask the question, what shall we do? Notice the response from, from John. And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Now, why did John feel the need to tell the publicans exact no more than that which is appointed you? Here's why. Because they were exacting more than what was appointed them. Because they were stealing from their own people. Because they were extortioners. And here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to levels of society... These publicans were as bad as it got. They were the lowest of the low. Everyone looked down on them. You say, why? Because they were tax collectors. But worse than that, because they were traitors. But worse than that, because they were extortioners. They were sinful people. And what's interesting to me is that when Luke feels the need to tell us the story of this man Zacchaeus, he tells us two things. That he was short of stature, and that he had superior status. That he was short of stature, and that he had superior status. Now, I asked a couple of men to help me uh, with an illustration uh, this morning. I'm going to ask one of them to come up. Ask Brother Jay, if he would, come up here, and he's going to help me with something. I'm going to have Brother Jay come up here. This is Brother Jay, also known as Saul. (laughs) And uh, Brother Jay is a good man. He's up here to help me. Here's what's interesting to me about the two things that we're told about Zacchaeus. We're to- I'm going to stand over here if that's okay. <laughs> we're told that he was short, and we're told that he was rich. We're told that he was short, and we're told that he was rich. And here's the interesting thing 
about those two things. That those two things are relative to comparison. I mean, isn't that true? Obviously, I'm a short guy. If you're wondering, just to answer the question, because you're not paying attention, you're just thinking about this the whole time. I'm five, uh, five foot four and a half inches tall. All right? Don't, don't take that half from me. And Brother Jay, Brother Jay is six feet tall. Now, it would be easy for Brother Jay to, to obviously, physically, he, he can look down on me. But he could also just look down in, on me and say, look at that short guy, right? I mean, look at this guy, proud, arrogant, just like tall people are. <laughs> but here's the thing about height, that it's relative. Because Brother Jay is very tall to me. In fact, most people are very tall to me. But you know that there are other people that could make Brother Jay feel short? That's another uh, man in our church to help me out. Brother Joe, would you come up here? Brother Joe is six feet tall. Uh, Excuse me, Brother Jay is six feet tall. Brother Joe, however, let's get Goliath up here, (laughs) is six foot three. And Brother Joe could make Brother Jay feel short. Because here's the thing about height, it's relative. And, 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 and here's the honest truth. I could call my good friend, Pastor Aaron Thompson, from Sure Foundation Baptist Church, who's six foot eight inches tall, and have him stand next to Brother Joe, and Brother Joe will feel short. Next to Pastor Thompson, who towers over him by five inches. Here's what's interesting, is that height, because look, some, some, there are some people, not a lot, but there are some people that could make me feel tall. And there are some people that make me feel short. But there are other people that make the people that make me feel short feel short. And there are other people that make the people that make the people that make me feel short short make them feel short. You say, why? Because height is relative to comparison. You can always find somebody, and Pastor Thompson feels very tall everywhere he goes, but he goes, if he goes to an NBA basketball player's convention, he may not feel that tall because it's relative. Height is relative. Here's the interesting thing. Wealth is relative. You might feel like, I'm a pretty, I mean, I'm a pretty successful person. I mean, have you, did you see what I drove in? Compare what I drove in to what everybody else drove in. Look at that parking lot. I got the nicest car out there. Look at, the, look at that, the house I live in. It's the nicest house in this church. Look, look at this and look at that. And you might feel very rich around poor people. And you might say, well, look, I'm very rich till a guy by the name of Bezos walks in, till a guy with the last name Buffett walks in, right? Till a guy with the last name Gates walks in. Then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I'm broke, I'm poor. Because the interesting thing is this that both height and wealth are relative to comparison. Someone may be taller than you, but there's probably somebody who's taller than them. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Thank you. Here's the point that I'm making. Zacchaeus was short, and maybe that compulsion to prove something caused him to want to strive for a superior status. But here's what's interesting about Zacchaeus. What's interesting about Zacchaeus and what we learn about Zacchaeus is this, that though he was short and though he was rich, the Bible says he was searching. Look at verse 3, Luke 19, verse 3. And he, Zacchaeus, sought to see Jesus, who he was. I want you to understand something about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was rich. Zacchaeus was wealthy. Zacchaeus had money. Zacchaeus had climbed the corporate ladder. Zacchaeus had gone up the social economic staircase. Zacchaeus was, as far as his height, he might have been short. But as far as his status, he was superior. He was up there. He had made it. But let me tell you something. Those things will leave you empty. And what matched Zacchaeus' physical height was his social economic height, and it is this, that no matter how high you soar, you'll always come short. No matter how successful you are, they'll always, without Jesus, they'll always be something missing. You say, I, I've climbed, I've, I, I've, I have success, I have wealth, I have, I have gone as high as I can. 
but you still come short. Without Jesus, you still come short. None of those things will fulfill. None of those things will fulfill the whole in your heart. None of those things will give you the purpose you need. Zacchaeus had a big house. Zacchaeus was a small man with a big house. But you know the problem with Zacchaeus? He had a big house and no one to invite to. I mean, he had a big house, but that's all he had. He, 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 had a, he, he, he didn't have any friendships. He didn't have any relationships. He didn't have anything. Every, we walked down the road and people looked down on him physically and spiritually because he was a traitor, because he was a tax collector, because he was an extortioner. Zacchaeus had a big house, but he had no friends. Zacchaeus had a big house, but nobody that loved him. Zacchaeus had a big house, but nobody that respected him. Some people, it, it, you know, it, it's, 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 it's poverty richness or rich poverty. Some people, let me tell you something. Some people are so broke. Some people are so broke, all they have is money. Because like height, wealth can always be compared to someone who has more. And like height, climbing the social ladder, climbing the business ladder, going higher and higher in life will always leave you feeling short. So we see Zacchaeus' condition. What was it? His short stature. His superior status. But in both areas, something was missing. And in both areas, he continued to come short. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, not only do we see Zacchaeus' condition, but we also see Zacchaeus' conversion. This guy gets saved. Notice what happens here in our story, Luke 19, verse 3. And he, Zacchaeus, notice his desire. He sought to see Jesus who he was. He was interested. He wanted to see Jesus. We don't know why he wanted to see Jesus, but I could imagine if I had to take a guess, most people were not nice to publicans. Most people did not respect publicans. Most people did not like publicans. Why? Because they're tax collectors. Why? Because they're traitors. Why? Because they're extortioners. Zacchaeus must have been really in awe when he heard that Jesus had chosen 12 disciples and one of them was a man named Levi, a publican? I mean, when the stories went out about the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ and that Jesus told a story of two men that went up to a temple, one a Pharisee, who in that culture would have been the hero, one a publican, who in that culture would have been the zero, and yet Jesus turns that on its head, and in his parable and in his story, the Pharisee's the villain and the publican's the hero. The publican's the ones that get saved. That must have intrigued Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus heard that Jesus would spend time with publicans and sinners, that he preached the gospel to publicans and harlots, when Zacchaeus must have heard these things, it must have intrigued them that there was somebody out there who might love him. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was of little stature. So the Bible tells us, I love this story, mainly because the hero's a short guy, but also because just the way, the, the way we see Zacchaeus, all of these stories are placed here for a reason. They're within their context for a reason. If you remember, we just got done. I mean, we just talked about it not that long ago, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And in that parable, when Jesus tells us about the Pharisee who trusted in himself and the publican who lowered himself, humbled himself, smote upon his breast and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. In that context, Jesus says that if we are going to enter the kingdom of God, we must do it as children. We must humble ourselves like a child. It's interesting to me that when uh, Zacchaeus has the opportunity, he hears that Jesus is coming into Jericho and he wants to see Jesus. He starts acting like a child. Look at him. Luke 19, verse 4. And he ran. Isn't that what kids do? I mean, I've got six kids. And sometimes they just they run for no reason. 
I mean, we'll be sitting at home. My wife and I are sitting at the couch having some coffee and talking or whatever. And our, and our children, are, you know, especially our little ones, they're just running around. I mean, literally just running from one wall, tag the wall, other wall, tag the wall. And my wife and I just, you know, we're getting exhausted just looking at it. And I'm like, what's the point of this game? And she's like, I don't think there is a point in this game. And they're just running for no reason, just running. And we're like, I'm like, I don't know if this homeschooling thing is working. Kids just run. You know, we look at it and we, I think to myself, man, I wish I had that energy. I'm going to take a nap just after watching this thing. They run. Zacchaeus ran. And he ran. Why did he run? He ran before, before what? Before the crowd. Because he, he goes to where Jesus is and he's trying to see Jesus, but he can't. We've already made the point. Because he's short of stature and he can't see the crowd. So he gets this idea and he says, I'm going to run. As Jesus is coming down the road, I'm going to run before he ran. Why did he run? Maybe because he was excited. Maybe because, you know, why do children run? They run because they're excited. They run because they're excited and they run because they're going to get spanked. <laughs> maybe Zacchaeus ran because he was excited. Or maybe Zacchaeus ran because whenever he got near a crowd, people started hitting him. Kicking him, ah, there goes Zacchaeus. And he ran before, but notice, notice the childlike faith of Zacchaeus. And he ran before, and then he does something else that's a little childish, and climbed up into a sycamore tree. He climbs up a tree. He climbs up a tree, why? Because he wanted to see Jesus, to see him, to see who Jesus was. For he was to pass that way. And I want you to understand something in this story. That this little man, Zacchaeus, he had this desire to see Jesus. And I think that something might, might have attracted Zacchaeus to Jesus. This idea that Jesus was kind to publicans, that Jesus loved publicans, that even publicans could get the attention of Jesus. It's interesting to me that Zacchaeus thought that he was looking for Jesus. He runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs up into a sycamore tree and he perches there like a little bird waiting to see Jesus pass by that way. But notice what happens in our story. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, I want you to just put yourself in the story. Here we have Zacchaeus up in a tree. He sees the crowd coming down the road, and he says, Jesus is about to come. I just want to get a look at this guy. I just want to see what this guy looks like. This was before internet. This was before pictures. This was before newspaper articles. He, yeah, I just want to see who this guy, this Jesus, who, who tells stories of publicans and, and loves publicans and accepts publicans. He gets up in the tree, and he wants to just see Jesus. Notice what the Bible says. He just wanted to see, for, last part of verse 4, for he was to pass that way. He just wanted to see Jesus pass by. But as Jesus passes by, Jesus stops. And when Jesus, verse 5, came to the place. Came to what place? To the place where the sycamore tree was. Came to what place? To the place where Zacchaeus had climbed up to see Jesus. When Jesus came to that place, and here's the thing, the Bible's about to tell us that he looks up. But in order for Jesus to look up, he had to stop to look up. And I don't know this. The Bible doesn't say this. I will just say that this is maybe my, uh, my opinion. But when Jesus stopped right under his tree, it makes me wonder what it is that Zacchaeus was thinking. Because remember, Zacchaeus has a short man complex. He was a short of stature, but his superior status. I mean, Zacchaeus must have been very proud of himself. You know how it is whenever you're going through a situation, your mind is thinking a lot faster than the situation uh, which is occurring. As Jesus came down that road, he's coming down that way, and then he stops right there. He Jesus, Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus pass by, but then Jesus stops right there. And for that half a second, when uh, Jesus stopped under that sycamore tree, I wonder if Zacchaeus, in his superior arrogance, his superior status. I wonder if he thought to himself, man, look at me. Don't I know how to pick him? I mean, Jesus didn't just stop at the, he, he needed a break. He didn't just stop at any sycamore tree. He stopped at my sycamore tree. I'll tell you what, I didn't get, I didn't get to the place where I am in life by just climbing any old sycamore tree. I mean, I, I'm the chief of the publicans. When I pick a tree, I can pick him. I just want to see Jesus pass by. 
But now Jesus has stopped. He's taking a break. I get a real good look at this man, Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, but then I want you to notice, the Bible says, he looked up. He looked up. This must have been odd to Zacchaeus. You say, why? Well, you may not understand this. If you never lived the life of a short man. The struggle is real, you know. But we're not used to people looking up to us. Zacchaeus was used to people looking down to him. They looked down to him physically. They looked down to him emotionally. They looked down on him socially. They looked down on him spiritually. This short man has ruined our lives. He's built up his wealth, built up his money, built up his status at our expense. He's a tax collector, and worse than that, he's a traitor, and worse than that, he's an extortioner, and he's ruined our life. I mean, think about it. Zacchaeus was the, the ancient world's version of uh, uh, Bernie Madoff. Taking people's wealth and taking people's life savings, taking people's uh, earnings. The Bible tells us in Luke 19.5, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up. This must have surprised Zacchaeus. This must have surprised everybody because generally speaking, I can tell you, short people aren't just hanging out in trees. And this crowd is going with Jesus, walking with Jesus. Uh, uh, stop. Why is he stopping? He looks up. What's he looking at? And then Jesus says this. The Bible says in Luke 19, 5, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him. Saw who? Zacchaeus. And said unto him, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. That must have surprised Zacchaeus. I mean, Zacchaeus is up there. He, they've never met. Zacchaeus doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. In fact, Zacchaeus is up in the tree because he just wants to get a look at who Jesus is. And Jesus stops at his tree, looks up, and says, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, it must have startled him for a second at the realization that he knows my name. He knows who I am. He knows who I am. He knows where I am. Nobody would guess that Zacchaeus, the chief of the public, Zacchaeus with the biggest house in the neighborhood, Zacchaeus with all his status, with all his wealth, with all his achievements, is up in a tree? Running and climbing trees like a child? But he not only knew where Zacchaeus was, he knew who Zacchaeus was. And here's what's interesting. That though Zacchaeus thought that he was looking for Jesus, the reality is that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. This is why Jesus says at the end of the story, Luke 19, look at verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, you you might have thought, oh, I I was searching on YouTube and I saw this documentary and that's why I came to this church or I I saw this video or or someone invited me or a friend said I should come check it out. And you might think that you are on a search for something. You are on a search for Jesus. But let me tell you something. The reality is that we love him because he first loved us and he came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. And you might have been under the impression that you were searching for Jesus. But the reality is that Jesus was actually looking for you. And Jesus knows who you are. And Jesus knows where you are. And Jesus knows everything about you. And that day, the Bible tells us, Jesus looked up at that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. You say, what happened in that house? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But here's what we do know. Zacchaeus got saved that day. Look at our verses again, Luke 19.5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he, Zacchaeus, made haste and came down. Notice the Bible says, and received them joyfully. Zacchaeus must have been happy. Nobody's ever asked to come to my house. Nobody, nobody ever comes to see me. He, he, he came and received them joyfully. And at the end of the story, the Bible tells us, Luke 19, verse 9, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation. Come to this house. Zacchaeus got saved. I don't, we don't know what happened in that house. If I had to guess, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, let me explain something to you. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
He, I don't know. Maybe Jesus quoted John 3.16 to him. I know the, gospel, the New Testament was not yet written. Whatever Jesus said, Jesus got him saved. Now, oftentimes there is a confusion with the story of Zacchaeus, and I, I want to I help, help you understand it. And some, when we interpret stories in the Bible, we must always interpret stories based off clear statements. People often try to create these new doctrines based off stories, but let me explain something to you. We should interpret stories based off, here's a, a, a Bible study principle. We go with the clear statements in Scripture, Amen. not with stories. The thing about the story is that Jesus heads into the house with Zacchaeus, and the next time we see Zacchaeus, verse 8, the Bible says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And people try to use Zacchaeus to teach a works-based salvation. That Zacchaeus got saved because he gave all his money to the poor. First of all, we don't know what conversation was had in the house with Jesus. But here's what we do know, that salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Here's what we do know, that for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's what we do know, you don't earn your salvation. So salvation is not of works. You say, well, what do you do with this story of Zacchaeus who stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have taken any, if I have taken anything uh, from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He said, I'm going to give half of my riches to the poor, and then I'm going to go back, and anyone that I stole from by false accusation, I'm going to restore them. Not just what I stole, not just twice as much, which is what the law required, but I'm going to give them fourfold. You say, how do you explain this in regards to salvation? And here's what I want you to understand. Go, go, go to uh, uh, Romans chapter number 2. In fact, you know what? Go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. You're there in Luke. You go past Romans, past 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me help you understand something. Salvation is not of works. Zacchaeus selling all he had was not an act of salvation. It was an act of discipleship. Because you remember in the previous chapter, remember I've, been, I've been saying this over and over to you. As we study the gospel in its context, verse by verse, moving our way through the gospel, we understand why it is that these stories are, are, are put together. They're gathered together for a reason. We talked about it last Sunday morning in Luke chapter number 18 with the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler thought he was saved. And Jesus knows he's not saved, but Jesus says, okay, if you are saved, then let's go to the next step, which is discipleship. He says, come follow me, sell all your riches and give it unto the poor and come follow me. And he was unwilling to do that. And Jesus was highlighting to him, it's not that you weren't willing to, to, to do that. That's not the reason you're not going to go to heaven. It's that fact that you are a sinner and you love your money more than you love God. And I want you to understand something. You're not as good as you think you are. Here was Zacchaeus, he's already saved, but he's willing to do in discipleship what this uh, rich young ruler was unwilling to do, sell all that he had and follow Jesus. It was an act of discipleship. You say, but but I don't understand. Uh, I thought salvation was not of works. Are you there in Ephesians 2? Look at it. Verse 8, you know the verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, notice these words, not of yourselves. You don't save yourself. There's nothing you do that produces salvation. You don't repent of your sins to be saved. You don't uh, turn over a new leaf to be saved. You don't get baptized to get saved. There's nothing you do for salvation. It's not of yourselves. You say, why? It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift that God gives you. You don't earn a gift. You don't pay for a gift. A gift is given to you. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because if you and I earned our salvation, we would boast about it. We would brag about it like the rich young ruler. I have kept all these from my youth up. I'm so good, I think I'm going to go to heaven. But please understand something about salvation. Though it is true that salvation is not of works, the purpose of salvation should be, the key words should be, to, is to lead us to good works. It's interesting to me that in the two, the, probably the two quintessential verses about salvation not being of works 
Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works the same man should boast. After those two quintessential verses, Paul says this, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Now look, you're not saved by works, but when you got saved, God started working on you. We are his workmanship, created uh, in, uh, in Christ Jesus. Notice these words, unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. You say, well, pastor, you're saying salvation is not of works. Correct. Well, are you saying that if there aren't works and we're not saved? I didn't say that. Because Romans 4 says, he that believeth, it says that if you have no works, unto him that believeth, you know, I'm just going to quote it wrong, so let's just look at it. If you want to look at it, Romans 4. Let me just make sure I I quote it correctly to you. Romans 4, verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Look, if you work for it, then it's not grace. Because if you work for it, then it's not free. And that's what the word grace means, free. Look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not. This guy did no works. But believe it. That's the faith. What did this guy in Romans 4, 5 do? He worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Amen. So is it possible to believe and have no works according to Romans 4, 5? Yes, it is. Amen. And can you get to heaven with no works? Yes, you can. Go back to Ephesians. You know, then what is this workmanship stuff? What is this created unto good works that we should walk in them? Here's the point. You're not saved by works, and you don't have to have works to be saved, but God does want to produce works in your life. That's not salvation. That's discipleship. This is why Philippians says to work out your own salvation. The Bible says to work out your own salvation, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Working out your own salvation doesn't mean that you're working for salvation. You already have it. It's already in there. You're already saved. God wants you to work it out. God wants it to come out. You say, what if it doesn't? You're still saved. But the purpose of salvation that is not of works is that it might produce works in you. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. What we have with Zacchaeus is a peculiar situation which happens but is not common, and it is this. Zacchaeus both got saved and got right with God on the same day. He got saved and began to walk with God on the same day, began to be a disciple of Jesus on the same day. That doesn't always happen. In fact, that almost never happens. I think one of the reasons that we're told the story of Zacchaeus is because it's so peculiar. Most people get saved and never walk with God, never go down the road of discipleship, never deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. Most people that get saved never do that. And the few that do, usually it's after a long time. They get saved and they got to come to Verity Baptist Church and they got to hear this short preacher preach at them and hack at them and tell them, you got to read your Bible, you got to read your Bible, you got to read your Bible, you got to pray, you got to be a soul winner, you got to do this, God wants you to do this, God wants you to forgive, God wants you to see mothers and yourself. And after a long time, people are like, ah, I guess I'll read the Bible. (laughs) That's the average Christian. But there are some Christians, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm married to one of them, my wife. My wife got saved at the age of 17, and the day she got saved, her life changed. I mean, literally, she got saved and instantly was three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, instantly was reading her Bible, praying, and a soul winner within a couple of weeks, talking at the door. That's rare. I could use a few more of those. That's, that's, that's not normal. That's a rare thing. But it happens. You know who else it happened for? The Apostle Paul. You know who else it happened for? Zacchaeus. You know who, it, it, it doesn't happen a lot, though. Most people are too stubborn and too proud. Most people need to get beat down by life before we start doing what the Bible says. Don't be confused. Zacchaeus did not give away his goods to get saved. He gave away his goods because he was saved. You say, what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. That God saved you. Look, look, look. Please understand this. Please get this. Jesus loves publicans. They're tax collectors. He says, I love them. They're traitors. He says, I love them. 
They're extortioners. He says, I love them. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. They that are holy, not a physician, but they that are sick. But let me tell you something. When Jesus saves you, he does not save you to keep you a publican. He does not save you to keep you a traitor. He does not save you to keep you an extortioner. He wants to change your life. He saved you that he might begin to work in you. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk in them. He wants to transform you. You say, why did, why did Zacchaeus give away half his goods? And people, you know, they get nervous. Right? They're like, am I going to have to give away all my goods? Well, here's the thing. No, but if you're worried about that, maybe you should. Because here's the thing about a transformed life. Go to Ephesians 4 real quickly. God saved you to change you. He loves you the way you are. But he doesn't like you the way you are. Ephesians 4.22. I just want to point this out real quickly. I know I'm out of time. Ephesians 4.22. That you put off concerning the former conversation. That's the old lifestyle. The old man... He said, I want you to put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I want you to start thinking differently than you've been thinking. I want you to put off the former conversation, the old lifestyle, the old way of uh, life, the old man. I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, and that you put on the new man. I want you to become somebody new. I want you to become somebody different. I, I, I want, I, I'm not trying to reform you. I'm trying to transform you. Amen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You say, but what, what does that look like? Because that just sounds like pastor talk. That sounds like spiritual talk. What does that look like practically? Here's what that looks like practically. Verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying. Speak every man truth. You say, what does a transformed life look like? Here's what a transformed life looks like. The compulsive liar, the compulsive liar, you say, when does the compulsive liar stop being a liar? Do they stop being a liar when they stop lying? No. They don't stop being a liar when they stop lying. They just start, they're just a liar who at that moment, for whatever reason, maybe because of the context and situation, is not able to lie. Say, when does a liar stop being a liar? When they become honest. I mean, look at it. Ephesians 4.25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth. See, when it comes to counseling and discipleship, the work that my wife and I do in in, in trying to help people, we're not trying to tell the compulsive liar, now look, you got to stop lying. I know you want to lie. In your heart, you want to lie. You want to just keep lying, but you you can't. You got to resist the, the urge to lie. That's where we start. That's where we start. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to get the liar to stop lying. The goal is to become, to take the person who's dishonest, the person who's a liar, to make them an honest person that doesn't want to lie. Ephesians 4.28, look at it. Let him that stole, steal no more. When does a thief stop being a thief? When they stop stealing? No, they might stop stealing because they got thrown in prison. But as soon as they get out of prison, they're going to start stealing again. Because the, the, the act of stop uh, of the fact that you stop stealing doesn't make you not a, a thief. Let him that stole steal no more. Here's when a thief stops being a thief, but rather let him labor. When does a thief stop being a thief? When he stops stealing and he starts working for what he has. But rather let him labor working with his hands. Notice the thing which is good that he may give. When does a thief stop being a thief? When they start working for what they have and when they start being generous for what they have. You say, why? Because those are the two things that are opposite to stealing. That he may give to him that needeth. You say, why does Zacchaeus have to give his money away? Because the way he got it was through covetousness and extortion. So you have to make those two things right. He said, I'm going to become a generous person. Give, a, give away the half of my goods. Let me help you with something. Whatever sin you're struggling with, you say, I got a temper. I can't control. My, my temper is out of control. Okay, then here's what you need to start doing. You need to start doing what people who don't have a temper do. 
Because you don't get control of your temper by, I'm really angry, but I want, I'm just not going to, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to bite my tongue. Now, you have to start there. But we want to get to the point where you don't have to bite your tongue because you're just not the person who would say those things. You say, what is the story of Zacchaeus? The story of Zacchaeus is a transformed life. We see his condition. We see his conversion. And then we see his contrition. The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Not for salvation, but the goodness of God, the grace of God. What happened was that something happened in the life of Zacchaeus where Jesus loved him and cared for him and accepted him. And then the goodness of God led him to repentance and he became a different person. I'm just here to tell you something. God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to transform you. Go back to Luke 19. We're done. We'll finish up. Luke 19. Here's the story of Zacchaeus. It doesn't matter who you are and how far you've gone. Obviously, we're not talking about reprobates. The story of Zacchaeus is it doesn't matter who you are and how far you've gone. You're like, I'm a tax collector. He says, I'll take you. I'm a traitor. He says, I'll forgive you. I'm an extortioner. He says, I want to come to your house. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus says, I want to save you and I want to fellowship with you and I want to transform you. And Jesus said unto him, Luke 19, 9, This day salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. No matter who you are, God can change you. He can transform you. Say, so how do I do it? Spend time with Jesus. You can't spend time with Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went to his house for supper. You can't spend time with Jesus and not have him change your life. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the story of Zacchaeus. And really, it's just a story of a transformed life. it's It's the success story of the Great Commission. Somebody got saved, and they got discipled. And as a result of discipleship, as a result of them spending time with Jesus, their life was changed. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to change many lives. I pray you'd help people that aren't saved, help us to get them saved. And people who are saved, help us to get them to fellowship and spend time with Jesus. To sup with Jesus. Because he will transform their lives. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders. Uh, first of all, don't, don't forget that uh, we've got church tonight at 6 p.m. We'd love for you to join us uh, for the Sunday evening service. And if you've, uh, I, I said this on Wednesday.